morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, February 1st, we are studying 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 21. In today's text, St. Paul boasts all the more in his weaknesses, and he earnestly implores the Corinthians to remember his genuine ministry among them while fleeing from the so-called super-apostles who only mean the Corinthians' harm. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Ned Murby. Pastor Murby serves at Memorial Lutheran Church and School in Houston, Texas. Pastor Murby, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. It's good to be with you. So we get started today. Pastor, give us some context. What should we know about this epistle and what St. Paul's been talking about leading up to chapter 12? Well, um, 2 Corinthians is a letter that I think is is quite suitable for, for our time and really for, for all of history. Um, the whole epistle kind of combats this idea that anybody should want to be a Christian because they're going to get ahead in this life because of it. Um, Paul's whole concept of a, a ministry of reconciliation is um, not a, a reconciliation with God that pulls you out of this world or out of this life, but a reconciliation that reframes what we experience in this life in the here and now. Um, as we'll see, St. Paul is not spared suffering. He doesn't tell us to expect to be spared suffering. But in this life, having been redeemed by Christ, we are freed to help one another, bear one another's burdens, um, and persevere in the confidence that, that God is with us, watching over us, and that he is more than able to, at the proper time, remove us from this valley of sorrow and take us to himself in heaven, and certainly on the last day, raise us to everlasting life um, with Christ in paradise. Mm. Yeah, this is certainly a letter that details the sufferings of St. Paul. We heard that, especially at the end of chapter 11, where you have that really long list of all the things that he's gone through, and he's really picking up with that here, although he will list an experience that he's aware of, and we'll talk about whose experience that is in a moment, that, that maybe seems like it's the opposite, but he ends up coming back to this idea of boasting in sufferings. And I appreciate that you're saying that this is for all Christians, not just for those who occupy the office of the pastoral ministry. I know there's been a time or two where I've used part of this chapter that we're going to read in the laying on of hands for an ordination, because I do think it is a fitting verse, especially, you know, again, verses 9 and 10 particularly of this chapter are fitting for the office of the Holy Ministry, but really for all Christians— to know that we are able to boast in our sufferings and our weaknesses, because that's where Christ shows his strength. That's not only true for pastors, it's true for all Christians. Certainly. And I, I think it is fitting for use at ordinations, because in, in that sense, um, I mean, ordination is... Well, when one is ordained, he ought to be ready for an intensification 
of of the sufferings that we experience as human beings. Um, not to say that pastors suffer more than other people necessarily, but certainly I think the devil puts a target on your back when Christ gives you the charge of caring for others in his stead. Um, and it does open the door to all kinds of, of sufferings and heartaches. As St. As Paul himself you know, makes clear about his own apostolic ministry, um, the, the care and concern that he has for the churches weigh on him just as much as the, the beatings and imprisonments and, and such. So it, it's certainly um, well heeded by, by every Christian that we need to um, not expect a, a release of freedom from all suffering in this life. Um, sadly, many, many Christian teachers present Christianity that way, and, and many people are, are led astray. But St. Paul's going to give us a, a healthy dose of correction to that, that misunderstanding today. All right, well, let's take a look at this text then. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super-apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you." For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. 
for I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who send earlier, and am not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. That is our text for today. That's 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 21. So, Pastor Murby, as our text begins, Paul is, again, picking up where he left off in the previous chapter with the thoughts of boasting. He says, I must go on boasting, even though there's nothing to be gained by it. And he he starts talking now about visions and revelations of the Lord, and, and this initial boast is different than what that list was, it seems, at the end of chapter 11. Help us into to the way this chapter starts. Yeah, so chapter 11 ends with Paul boasting about all the things that, you know, worldly people wouldn't boast about. Right. You know, oh, I got beat up. You know, oh, I'm not that strong. You know, um, all, all these things that he's he's suffered. Um things that i mean would easily make many people give up from from many endeavors and paul hasn't experienced one of them but you know all of them all all, of them. all sorts of hardships hunger cold shipwreck beatings stonings imprisonment um and he, now he says i must go on boasting it's necessary for me to continue my boasting and like you said this one now becomes a little bit different he says he'll go on to boast um to in in he'll go on in his boasting to to visions and revelations of the lord that is the lord making known to him um some matter by divine revelation that that hasn't been made known to to all christians um paul says there's nothing to be gained from it him telling the corinthians these things he recognizes isn't going to undo any of the things that he's suffered. It's not going to change um, what lies before Paul. Um, but he will go ahead and explain to them, you know, what it is that that has happened with these visions and revelations of the Lord in order, I mean, for the sake of the gospel, that the Corinthians might recognize that, yes, Paul is indeed an apostle of the Lord um, sent to represent Christ to them and, and bring the gospel to them. Mm. Now, he as he begins this boast of the visions, revelations, it starts like this in verse 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Before you talk about the third heaven, what about this, I know a man in Christ? Who might Paul be talking about? Okay. Um, Paul is, is almost certainly talking about himself. Mm. Um, I think he's, he's not, he's probably not saying this happened to me so that nobody can turn around and say, oh, you're boasting about yourself. Um, so he, he's talking about an experience that he had in such a way that he can appeal to the authority of the experience that I experienced this from the Lord to clarify that I am his apostle. I'm letting you know about it so that you receive me as Christ intends for you to receive me. 
without drawing attention um, to myself, to me personally, so that, you know, you might think, oh, Paul is this great guy. Um, you know, isn't Paul wonderful? He, he's, he's, you know, Paul boasts in the Lord. He teaches us to boast in the Lord. So he's mentioning this experience not to puff himself up or to build himself up in the eyes of the apostles, but for the sake of the office into which he's been placed, that the, the Corinthians would um, understand better that when they receive Paul, they are receiving Jesus. And so it's for the sake of Jesus and the Corinthians that St. Paul is even bringing up this experience. Um, this experience had happened 14 years ago that will note St. Paul doesn't write in every letter, hey guys, look at how wonderful I am. Jesus even gave me this divine revelation. You know, we get it here. Um, we get uh, something similar maybe in Galatians where Paul talks about not having received his ministry from men but from Christ and it didn't even come from the other apostles. But once again, it, they're also, it's defending Paul's apostleship. Not saying Paul is this great guy, but that Paul is the guy that Jesus has called to use for the sake of these churches that where, where he has preached the gospel. Um, and so this, this mentioning of his experience without saying, hey, this happened to me, um, is a way to de distance himself personally um, from the, the authority that this backs up that's for the Corinthians good. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I think I, I, it could be somebody different, but I do think the most natural way of understanding the way Paul speaks here is precisely what you've said, that he is talking about something that did happen to him, but he has not boasted about it and, and refuses to boast about it in the normal way here for, for all the reasons that you mentioned. You know, with it, the mention of the 14 years I think most of the time this particular epistle is dated around 55 AD, and I, just kind of looking through the Lutheran Study Bible before our conversation started, Acts chapter 9, those, those editors put the conversion of St. Paul about the year 36 AD. So if you use kind of those as, as round figures, uh, 14 years from the writing of this letter puts you in about 41 AD, so not too long into Paul's ministry as an apostle, Probably, and again, I, I didn't look up all the dates, but probably before he does a whole lot of public ministry, per se, in terms of preaching and, and missionary journeys. And the fact that... So, well, it just... Uh, the, what, what strikes me, then, is that this is really the first time in, uh, that he brings it up as, as a thing. It's not been a—this has not been his point all along. It's, hey, look how awesome I am and what happened to me. He really only brings it up here kind of when his hand is forced, and he, he has to bring it up, and even then he's going to do it in an unusual way. Yes. Um, so Lenski says that th this is probably about the time, or just before, Barnabas goes to get um, Saul and bring him to um, Antioch, where, okay. of course, and the two of them are set apart by the Holy Spirit to go on the first missionary journey together. Okay. Um, and it doesn't come up on that missionary journey. It doesn't come up on the second missionary journey. Yeah. Um, now, um, at least not in what Luke records for us in Acts. Right. Um, and it, it's certainly, 
he didn't mention it all the time that he was in Corinth um, because he's bringing it up as something new here. So this is this is not something a feather in his cap that he goes around showing off to everybody. But like you said, his hand is forced. Um, he the Corinthians benefit from this clearer understanding that yes. Paul is speaking with authority, despite his suffering. His suffering is not an indication that he is a false prophet, uh, you know, a false teacher, um, doesn't have enough faith, you know, to compel God to do what he wants him to do, um, anything like that. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, so, and I, the reason I think that that's important to to bring out is because within recent history in the, in the Church, the last 20, 30 years or so, there have been several books that sometimes I've I've labeled heaven tourism books where where someone will describe their their trip to heaven and it just strikes me that whatever else you think about those books that's not the way Paul talks here right he he really only talks about this special revelation that he was given when he has to it's not it's not like the main point on which his preaching hinges which again, there, there's a number of other things that can be said about those those books and, and why they're perhaps not helpful, uh, but that's one thing I think from this text to to note is that Paul's not using this this trip to the third heaven as the sign of his authenticity. Really, he only brings it up because he's he feels like he has to. Yes, and even, I mean, he mentions that it happened, but he doesn't say. Oh, I know a man who was caught up to heaven, and this is what the angels revealed to him and, and told him everybody on earth has to believe. You know, that's that's the that's the Quran. Um, that's the Book of Mormon. You know, one guy goes off and gets this special revelation, and um, you know, whether it's in heaven or on earth, but here St. Paul is simply saying, Look, I'm I'm not saying I had this vision of heaven, and now I'm going to tell you what St. Peter didn't know to tell you, or what Apollos didn't know to tell you. Um, and if you go back and read 1 Corinthians, St. Paul is clear that the apostolic witness is consistent. Um, they might build on each other, and that one comes first, and then another comes and maybe provides clarification or more thorough instruction, but it's not a new gospel. I mean, Paul consistently rejects the idea that there is more than one gospel. Um, and, and so this, however he's caught up into heaven, he doesn't, he, you know, claim to know how, how he or, or, you know, whoever this man is, if it's not him, how he got to heaven. Is he in his body or is it just a vision? Well, that's not even important. It's not even important, you know, well, I mean, not that what he heard isn't important, but what he heard is not what needs to be taught to the people. What needs to be taught to the yeah. church throughout the world is the gospel preached by Jesus Christ, you know, repeated and written down by the apostles and their associates for the benefit of the church of, of all time. And, and so we don't need to keep sending people to heaven or have God keep bringing people to heaven to hear the message or hear a new message to come back down to us. And people, I mean, I'm, I'm always skeptical of people who claim that, you know, they've, 
they've seen heaven. Of course, you know, Jesus warns us that as the, the end draws near, there will be signs and wonders to, um, to draw away, if possible, even the, the elect. Um, so we want to be very careful um, with anybody who says they experience something strange, um, not necessarily reject it outright, but certainly um, when somebody makes the claim, oh, I had this experience and God wants me to tell you something in addition to, definitely we don't want to listen to them when they say something that changes what's been passed down to us in the Holy Scriptures. Um, and and St. Paul, I think that's why he says he heard things that men can't speak of. Yeah. It's, it's not been given to him yeah. to speak these things, um, but it's been given to him, I think, to reassure him in the midst of everything he was going to suffer for the sake of the Corinthians and everybody else that he was preaching to, that he wouldn't give up. If you remember, at his baptism, or just before his baptism, Ananias doesn't want to go baptize him, but the Holy Spirit tells Ananias, no, you go baptize him, and I'm going to show him how much he has to suffer for my name's sake. And I suspect that, I mean, okay, th this, is, this is speculation, but kind of how I imagine it happening so I'm, I'm not going to for tell anybody they have to hold to these details, but I kind of picture St. Paul was in Tarsus, has this experience of being taken up to heaven in, in some manner, and, and has this vision and revelation, and God's like, it's about to get really difficult for you in your life. This is what you need to know to persevere through all of that suffering that you're going to experience. And then there's probably a knock on the door, and it's Barnabas saying, Hey, Saul, come with me to Antioch. I've got some people you want to meet. And, you know, it's days later, the Holy Spirit sends them out on the first missionary journey, and, and really the suffering in earnest begins. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe that's not exactly how the timeline lines up. If it's not, that's not important. But, but that's the picture that I would say the Scriptures overall give us of what's taking place here. Mm -hmm. um, Paul is given... This, this special experience um, that confirms for himself. I mean, I, I think we all, as, as Christians, as, as parents, you know, students, what, whatever our vocations are, there are times when we feel overwhelmed by them and say, am I really cut out for this? And I think, you know, certainly St. Paul must have had experiences like that you know, when he has rocks being thrown at his head. Um, and the, the Lord has given him the encouragement in advance to persevere through those things um, so that he wouldn't lose heart. And, and now he's, he's finally drawing on that card and telling the Corinthians, okay, I've understood from this that the Lord is with me and, and will see me through the hard times. Now I'm sharing something of the experience with you so that you understand that I have been sent by the Lord to tell you the things that I have told you and that all these sufferings that I've listed, which I boast in, um, that, that they don't disqualify me from the office, but they actually are 
in a certain sense, a mark of the office. Just like, you know, Martin Luther will say, the Holy Cross is a mark of the church. Now, it's not the definitive mark in such a way that you can say anywhere that there's any suffering, that that's where the true church is. But in this world, until Christ comes again in glory, wherever the true church is, wherever the gospel is being proclaimed, there will be suffering for the sake of the gospel. And we see that in Paul's life in in spades, including um, a description of which he gives us you know, in the verses following what we've been been talking about so far today. So before we get to our break here, tell us a little bit about what Paul might mean when he says that this experience that happened 14 years ago, that it, he was caught up to the third heaven, that, that phrase, what might that mean, the third heaven? Um, the third heaven is, is I, I'm convinced, just simply what we refer to as heaven commonly in, in English today, that the first heaven would be, you know, the, the sky above us where the birds and the, the clouds are, you know, um, the, the, the heaven that, if you, if you have an ancient perspective, I mean, we've got the Artemis mission going to the moon, you know, back up 2,000 years. Um, the, the, the heavens that man can somewhat interact with, right? You can go up a mountain and be in the clouds. The birds come and go from the ground to the sky. That's, that's the first heaven. The second heaven then would be, um, you know, the stars, you know, the, the celestial bodies that are out of our reach, but which we can see. And then the third heaven is, you know, the, the realm of God and the angels that we can't see, um, but that we usually conceptualize as being above the clouds, you know, being up. Um, so the third heavens, uh, I, I'm, convinced that St. Paul simply means um, the place where God dwells, where the angels, you know, constantly worship him and see his face. Yeah, that, that makes good sense to me. So the, the place where, where Paul is caught up to, the third heaven, is the place that most people think about when they think about the heavens, above the sky, above the, the place where the sun, the moon, the stars are, into the place where God is. That is where Paul is caught up to. That's the experience he's describing that he mentions, but that's not going to be his ultimate boast. He's going to boast in his weaknesses, which we will pick up more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Ned Murby this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Lutheran Church Extension Fund exists to support Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and church workers. How do we do this? Your investment with LCEF makes it possible for LCMS churches, schools, organizations, and church workers to receive low-cost loans for new and growing ministries. And faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, make that possible when you invest with LCEF. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, February 1st. We're studying 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 21 with Pastor Ned Murby. He serves at Memorial Lutheran Church and School in Houston, Texas. Pastor Murby, prior to the break, we were talking about this experience that Paul describes, likely which happened to him, in which he was caught up into the third heaven, the place where God dwells. But he doesn't really say too much about it other than it happened. He's not going to talk much about it because he's not supposed to. He's, he's heard things that are not to be uttered. That's what he said about this experience. So much detail that we'd love to know, but Paul really doesn't want to talk about it. What he does say, though, is, is how he's going to speak about it and how he's going to use this as part of the boasting that he's been talking about. So that brings us about to verse 5. Paul says, On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my, be- my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weaknesses, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So as Paul again speaks about this as a boast of sorts, he really doesn't want to use it to build up himself. Uh, what is he saying here in verses 5 and 6? Yeah, so again, I, I think here we see why Paul doesn't specify that it it was him who was, was caught up into heaven. So he can simply say this anonymous, anonymous, anonymous man, um, you know, who I won't name, I'll boast on, meaning God has done something great here, you know, so, so God gets the praise because we don't have the man's name, even though it's pretty clear it's Paul. Um, but of myself, I'm only going to boast in my weaknesses. So I'm not going to boast that I've seen heaven. I'm going to boast that, I mean, essentially, I'm, I'm weak. I'm worthless. I'm a sinner, right? These are the, these are the ways that Paul talks about himself um, quite often. Um, so he would not be a fool to boast. You know, he wouldn't be saying anything wrong. He, he wouldn't be deceiving himself or others. Um, but he refrains from it so that people can make their opinion of Paul based on what they see and hear from him. Um, that is, they can listen to his teaching and say, is this man preaching the gospel or not? Hmm. That is what Paul will boast in. Um, you know, in the Lord, what the Lord has done, what the Lord has given him to proclaim and make known um, to the Gentiles as he goes out preaching the gospel. Mm. Now, as he moves into verse 7, this is, again, another evidence that what he's been talking about with this being caught up into the third heaven, even though he hasn't talked about it as it's happening to him, it seems that he is the, the one in view because he says in verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. So it, it seems he's been talking about himself in order that he would not be conceited. It says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. So let's talk about this thorn in the flesh given to Paul. It's what it might be and especially its purpose. All right, well... Um, if anything that we say definitively about what the thorn in the flesh is would, would be speculation. There, there's been all sorts of theories put forward. Um, a common one has been poor eyesight. Um, and, um, you know, Paul makes reference, I forget which of his epistles he, he, 
he he tells the people he's writing to that you would have you know given me your eyes if if you could have um indicating that he had some ailment with his eyes whether this was old age or i mean i'm gonna go out on a limb and say it probably has something to do with being hit in the head by a bunch of rocks (laughs) um maybe not but you know he certainly had scars in his body on his body from from these afflictions and and they we have no reason to expect that they didn't have impacts on how his body functioned as as well um it could have been i mean he doesn't say i had so many broken bones but again you can only you have to kind of imagine that in these beatings and stonings that surely he had um some fairly significant damage done to his body um you know i i know of people who you know just age the wear and tear on on a, a, a person's body as as they work you know by the time they're 60 70 80 years old they say i know when the weather's changing because my knees start to creak more you know something like that and um i'm sure saint paul you know had these aches and pains that you know the were worse in certain conditions or you know if he sat for too long he probably got incredibly stiff or something like that but um is it his eyesight is it a bad back is it you know frequent sinus infections or did he have cancer we don't know um there's nothing specific in this text or anything else that tells us you know paul is speaking about an exact you know this particular ailment it's possible it's possible that just as he had been given a vision of heaven and and the glory and wonder of heaven for his comfort that god allowed him to to behold in some way the devil or some demon in some manifestation pestering him harassing him i mean there's an old comic strip where where St. Paul is in prison with SpongeBob SquarePants hanging from the wall next to him, asking him, oh, what you doing, Paul? Huh, Paul, what you doing? And, and the caption is that, you know, we now know what Paul's thorn in the flesh is. And, um, I don't think it was a talking sponge, but it might have been a demon um, that, that harassed him in, in a way like that. You know, woke him up in the middle of the night. Hey, Paul, God doesn't really love you, Paul. Look at how much you've had to suffer for God, Paul. Um, I don't know. Right. So, I mean, that that's the short answer, so maybe we'll leave it at that. I don't know what the thorn in the flesh is. Um, but I will add, I think that's the point. If if Paul said, God, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, God gave me bad eyesight. Well, then everybody who had bad eyesight would be like, oh, yeah, I can, this really resonates with me because I have bad eyesight. But those who wrestle with depression or those who have cancer, those who have creaky knees, you know, they wouldn't resonate with it as much. But I I think that the Holy Spirit led Paul to be vague here so that whatever we suffer in this fallen world, we can recognize that's my thorn in the flesh. That's, That's Satan's messenger to harass me. I think we sometimes 
compartmentalize too much um, spiritual affliction, physical affliction. Um, I think the if we take the scriptures as a whole, you know, death and its precursors of old age, sickness, you know, weakness, all of that is a result of the fall, right? The wages of sin is death. That's where death comes from. Um, so all of that, in a way, is tied through sin to a guilty conscience, um, you know, sh a sense of shame. Um, and that's also, of course, connected then to Satan, who is the deceiver who entices Adam and Eve into sin. So the spiritual, the, um, the physical, the mental, all of these different afflictions that we, that we experience in life, we ought to see kind of a, a common root of, you know, sin, death, and the devil all intertwined there. And, and so this messenger of Satan, that whatever it was, has been the source of extreme affliction to St. Paul, to the point where he, he prays to God that it would be taken away. Now, I'll, I'll admit, I admit this to my own shame, Pastor Apple, but when I get a cold, I don't very often ask God to take it away. Um, if I get the flu, I am much more likely to pray, God, please let this end quickly. Um, because the suffering is more severe, right? So Paul prays three times that this thorn in the flesh would be taken away. Now, Saul is, uh, Paul is probably more pious than I am and, and prays sooner. Um, but, but that he prays three times, I think, shows that this is, this is something very troubling to him. Um, and this is maybe something that he's thinking back 14 years ago. God, you showed me this wonderful place, this 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 glorious place where I know that that I will be, or it's 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 a glimpse, at least a hint of what my experience will be with you in eternity. It, it's what Christ has won for me. It is mine now. I mean, St. Paul's the one who reminds us that we are now seated with Jesus in the heavenly places, even though we don't see it. And so St. Paul says, God, I know the glory that is to come, at least a hint of it, this isn't what you intend for your children. Can you end it for me, please? Um, yet God says, no, Paul, not yet. Um, I'm not going to remove that thorn in the flesh from you. It's going to continue to persist. Your eyesight isn't going to get better, or your headaches aren't going to go away, or that demon that wakes you up in the middle of the night is going to keep dancing around your room and disturbing you. Whatever this affliction was, it's going to remain there, but know in the midst of it that it doesn't mean you're not in my care and that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. As you experience this assault of the devil, whatever the form was, it doesn't stop me from loving you or taking care of you. And in the long run, you're going to see my love and care more clearly because of it. Mm. Yeah, I, I really appreciate all that you I think said. That's why. Uh, I, I, I really appreciate all that you said about the, the, the way that he's vague about it. That allows all who read this to take it and apply it to whatever afflictions they may be suffering. And, and also then the role in which Satan would use those afflictions to 
cast doubt on our faith, to try to pull us away from Christ. One of the things, though, that, that's definitely here in the text that, that I think many Christians do struggle with is the role of God in this. So this is, you know, this is a messenger of Satan that Paul says was given to him, and, and God here says, no, I'm not going to take this away. I, I actually, I, I intend to do something through this suffering. Uh, talk a little bit about the role of God within the suffering that's given to Paul and, and to Christians in general. Yeah. Well, I, I think apart from Christ, St. Paul in the New Testament and Job in the Old Testament are, are the two prime examples of suffering. And what they both teach us, and Paul Gerhardt gets this well, um, what they both teach us is that whatever we experience, we should see it as coming from God. Um, and, and this, you know, th those who complain, well, you know, a, a loving, all-powerful God can't exist because I experience hardships in my life. So either God doesn't love me enough to do anything about it or he's not powerful enough to do anything about it. Of, of course, that, that argument fails to recognize um, God's wisdom um, and, and it, it assumes that, that we know what is best. Um, I think that's what, what God is telling Paul here, is that Paul recognizes it comes from God, right? Um, it, a, a thorn was given me in the flesh. I, I think that's what we call a, um, a divine passive, right? Or a theological passive. Yes. God is yes. the one who sent it. Um, the thorn is given to me. Where did it come from? Well, it came from God. It, it, but it came from God for a purpose, to keep me from becoming conceited. Um, we can't always see that purpose. Paul can here. Um, Paul can probably, I mean, Paul is given a, I don't know, can we say a more thorough revelation from God about this than what, than what I have been about my own life, and I suspect than what you have been about your life yeah. and and the people listening to us, right? We haven't been caught up to the third heaven. We haven't had God come, and I, I don't know if Christ stood before Paul or the Holy Spirit gave him another vision or an angel came and talked to him, but somehow God gives him the message that, no, I'm not going to take this away because my grace is made perfect in weakness. But, but Paul gets this, Paul is given this assurance that God has a purpose for this suffering, God is working in the midst of this suffering, and that God is preserving Paul not only in the midst of this suffering, but also in a way through this suffering, that, that this suffering is being used for a purpose. Um, and again, we get the, the vagueness, I think, is beautiful for us because it allows us to hear these words of God to Paul as though they were being spoken directly to us. And so this is a fitting text, I think, for a funeral, um, in, in the hospital room, at the deathbed, just when we're having a bad day, right? When, um, I don't want to make light of anybody else's suffering just because their list might not be as long as St. Paul's. 
I mean, I know there have been days in my own life when if you came to me and said, well, Ned, your suffering is not really all that bad because you haven't experienced half the things St. Paul has, I would have thrown a shoe at you or something. You know, I, I wouldn't want to listen to that. And, and I understand that there are probably people listening to us today who say, my life is hard enough even though my list is short. Maybe it's just one thing. You know, maybe it's a divorce that I'm going through. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it's a diagnosis I just got. Whatever it is, this passage teaches us to understand that God is telling us, just like he told St. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace will cover you no matter what it is that you are experiencing right now because my power is made perfect in weakness. And the prime example of this is not St. Paul, but it's Christ's own crucifixion, right? Jesus commends himself into the keeping of the Father while he is experienced the wrath of God for every sin ever committed. And he says, I, I trust that you'll be with me. You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know, but Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And Christ experienced that complete weakness, that ultimate suffering, right? Suffering as in the, the receiving of whatever somebody else is going to put upon you. He suffers from God that which is due to our sin, and God's grace is made perfect. Um, first of all, Christ is vindicated on the third day. He is raised as the one who is truly innocent. Um, but then God's grace is also made perfect for you and me and for everybody who's listening to us today because it's in that death and resurrection of Jesus that we have the answer to all of our suffering. It, it puts a limit on it, right? Um, maybe it's not going to end today, but as surely as Christ has died and risen from the grave, he is coming again, and when he comes again, it will not be only St. Paul who is caught up to the third heaven, but every believer will go and see God face to face to be with him forever in paradise, and our suffering will be completely over, never to come back. In the meantime, God says, be patient, I'm not done with you. And so then in verse 10 of, of our text, Paul says he's going to boast in these things, he's going to be content with them, he's, he's going to receive the weaknesses, the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the calamities, because he knows when he's weak, he's strong. And now, Pastor Murphy, we've got, got about eight minutes here, and we do need to get to the rest of the chapter, but, but briefly comment on that conclusion that he draws to this section in verse 10. Yeah, so, uh, of course, the, the, the last letter of Paul to the Corinthians, at least the last one we have, um, 1 Corinthians, has the long, beautiful chapter on the resurrection, right? Um, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And, and I think we can't understand 2 Corinthians apart from that proclamation of the resurrection, which Paul has already made known to them in his preaching to them personally and in, in that letter. Um, and we need to remember that we are looking for the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Too often, we 
we lose sight of the fullness of what God wants to give us because we go to a funeral maybe and, and we hear how this person's suffering has ended. Well, that's we can find relief in that and some peace in that, right? Um, I'm, I'm sure as a pastor, if not personally in your family, you've experienced where, where somebody has been sick for a long time. The family has cared for that individual. They've visited him visited in the hospital, the nursing home. Um, and when the funeral comes, it's just, it's like a burden has been lifted because they know that their, their husband, their father, their grandfather isn't experiencing that pain that he had been enduring for so long. And, and there's the relief that, well, I don't have, I am not pouring myself out caring for him constantly. And sometimes people feel guilty for, for having that sense of relief. That, that sense of relief is appropriate, that, that suffering has ended, but only because we know that death has been defeated and the grave is going to spit out our loved one again, right? Um, on the last day when Jesus comes again, we will be raised. Our bodies will become you know, glorious and immortal just as Christ's body has been glorified in his resurrection. Um, and therefore... While we are waiting for that, that end of our suffering to come at our death, we don't rush towards it and say, oh, I'm just going to end my life now so that my suffering ends. But we say, no, for whatever time God has given me to endure this suffering, I will endure it. Because God's power is so much greater than this, that even though I die, I know that I am not out of his care and that God will raise me. Um, so whatever it is that we're suffering, we can look forward to the end of it. There's nothing wrong with that. We don't take the end of it into our own hands, um, but we trust that God will, will ultimately deliver us from all of these afflictions. All right, Pastor Murby, you've got, and that's five, our you've got five minutes to cover the rest of this chapter. And I know if anyone is qualified for such a task... It is you. So, and, and not to, I, I don't want to gloss over this, but I, I do think a lot of the rest of this chapter then fits into other things that Paul has said elsewhere in this section about his great concern. He really lays bare his heart before the Corinthians, calls them to receive the ministry that he's been giving them all along to watch out for these so-called super apostles who only mean to harm the Corinthians. And he really reiterates that here again, after definitively laying out for the Corinthians, hey, I'm boasting in my weaknesses so that you might have Christ. These guys don't want you to have Christ. You need to hold firm to him. So again, with four or five minutes here, uh, give us the highlights of the last part of this chapter and help us to wrap things up on chapter 12 this morning. All right, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, so Paul recognizes that the last, I think, chapter and a half have, have maybe been a little bit out of character for him, um, drawing attention to himself, even though it's for the purpose of drawing attention to the ministry that has, has been entrusted to him. Um, but he, he makes it clear that, look, even I'm, I'm boasting in my weaknesses, but you've seen the miracles accomplished um, by me. You, you've if you remember when I was among you, you re you'll remember that the signs that these other apostles do um, 
I did, but I did them with patience. Um, I, I wasn't any less generous or, or thorough with you than I was with any of the other churches in what I taught and in, in how I served you, ministered to you. Um, it does seem that, that the, the difference in Paul's approach at Corinth and elsewhere is that at Corinth, Paul took care of himself um, working as a, as a tent maker or, or a canvas worker, so quite likely in Corinth that was making sails for the sailing ships, but we won't get into that. Um, so I, he wasn't a burden to you, uh, he, or, or I wasn't a burden to you, he says. Um, so forgive me for this wrong. I think you see his sarcasm there. Um, I, I should have been harder on you. I should have made you pay for my supper every night. Um, after all, Jesus says that the worker deserves his wages, right? Um, but he says, no, I'm, I'm not like these men who travel around and say, oh, you've got to take care of me. You've got to give me that. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do something at your church, but you have to have a free will offering that brings in at least, you know, $10,000 to support my television ministry or something. Um, Paul has been there completely as, as a servant, and now he wants to go to them again. Um, he wants to stir them up to generosity. We've, we've heard a couple of times in the letter already about how the people should have an offering prepared because Titus and another unnamed disciple was going to be coming to receive that offering and it would be taken to the, to the saints in Jerusalem who were in need. Um, but So Paul is trying to stir them up to love and generosity, not for his own benefit, but for the benefit of others and ultimately for the benefit of themselves, right? That, that they would learn... The, the blessing of giving and sharing from their bounty. Um, so he doesn't want to be a burden, but he does want to teach them to be, to be generous. Um, Titus, who is you know, a, a true spiritual son of, of Paul, um, kind of an understudy of, of Paul, he didn't you know, take advantage of you either, right? Um, and, and so Paul is not describing um, an absolute of the apostolic ministry as you know, no apostle, no true preacher can make a living by preaching the gospel. That would be contrary to the rest of Scripture. Paul is simply pointing out to the Corinthians, hey, look, in love, I didn't demand these things from you. Um, I, I was as light and, and the, the least burdensome as possible to you. But I am coming. At least I certainly hope to come soon, and so I want you to be ready. I fear maybe I'm going to have to discipline you a little bit. And and Paul certainly, I mean, he spoke kind of harshly in 1 Corinthians. There's parts of 2 Corinthians where he's he's had to be stern. Um, but he's also, I mean, the, the, the theme of this book is reconciliation, right? You put the sinner out of your congregation and he repented, now receive him back, as if I were there to receive him back. Just as I told you before, kick him out, just as if I were there to, to kick him out. Um, but I fear that there are some of you who, who still haven't put away all of your sin either, and I don't want to have to be stern, but I will be. So we have, we, we see Paul's concern for law and gospel, and we're probably out of time, um, but, but I think we get a good picture of the the servant heart of Paul here, really caring for the people at Corinth. Absolutely. Pastor Ned Murby is a pastor at Memorial Lutheran Church and School in Houston, Texas. 
He's been helping us today to study 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 21. Pastor Murby, thanks for being our guest today. Oh, it was a delight. Thanks for having me. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about 2 Corinthians 12, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>